Hi, I'm Eddie Chu and this is Open Source Futures, where I talk about present developments through the lens of futures and strategic foresight. So one of the interesting things that I want to uh, talk about today as a way to kickstart this little experiment of podcasting is to talk about the Singapore budget. So I'm based in Singapore and I'm Singaporean, so the budget is interesting to me as a kind of policy discussion. There were a few features of this budget that I thought was interesting, at least to me, <clears throat> and you might have your views. Um, but for me, there were a few things that were interesting. In. So the first thing, of course, is that this is still a pandemic budget. That uh, th This follows from last year's incredible response, which is about what something like $100 uh, sing dollars of response to support the wages and economy and people. So a lot of this is beginning to taper down, and hopefully this uh, pandemic part of the response will go down. Uh, so the second feature that I thought was uh, kind of interesting was the use of uh, communities and alliances. So Heng uh, Sui Kia talked about expanding the use of the uh, various uh, global innovation alliances and all that. And even in the community and social sphere, there was also more of that. And uh, within that, what was interesting was how the role of the community development councils seemed to be increasing and that seemed to be the kind of way they were thinking about to decentralize uh, community and social services. So of course, uh, sorry, Heng Sui Kiat being of course the deputy prime minister and the minister of finance and uh, widely expected to be the next in line to be the prime minister. The, the third thing that was interesting for me was uh, finally the use of the infrastructural bonds so that to me was interesting because um, this has been talked about for a long time and uh, because of the low interest rate environment that the world is currently undergoing because of the Federal Reserve. So the world has had very low uh, interest rates for the past 10 years because of the response to the financial crisis in uh, 08 And even then there was a lot of discussion about uh, how to make use of the low interest rate environment and to, to use it to uh, used for the infrastructure spending, uh, at least globally, and I think there were moments of that in Singapore. And uh, a couple of years went by, and uh, uh, a few things happened. So, of course, the pandemic happened, so the interest rates are going to remain low. Um, but the interesting to me in that was, even before the pandemic, the Federal Reserve was already considering to increase interest rates. Uh, so had the pandemic not happened, uh, interest rates likely will have gone up and we will be in a slightly less unfavorable environment to uh, to to do that big infrastructure spending. Uh, but now with the pandemic, I think the, the interest rates increase will probably be indefinitely delayed. But there are all these concerns about what if the stimulus bill that uh, the Biden-Harris administration is uh, going to put, pass through Congress, what if that creates inflation? Uh, and then interest rates will have to go up uh, for sure to tamp it down. But I think even today, uh, or even recently, uh, the, the Federal Reserve Chair is saying, oh, we'll just wait for that when that happens. So I guess we'll be using that, we'll be enjoying that low interest rate environment for a bit while, for a bit more. So of course, and the framing was also quite important. Uh, Hingsui Kiat framed this as an intergenerational approach. So uh, it's okay to commit the funds now because the future recipients will be in a better position to pay for those as well if there is increased economic growth. So he's trying to just uh, allay concerns, I guess. Um, so this I thought was interesting. And bear in mind that I think 
a few years ago, uh, PM Lee, Lee Hsien-Long at the National Day Rally did talk about the use of uh, this kinds of financing to finance things like the climate change adaptation. So reclaiming land, uh, off, for, for instance, reclaiming land off the coast of East Coast, create barrier islands, uh, drain the water, etc. to build land and create land uh, to, uh, to kind of preserve the rest of Singapore from uh, sea level rise. So that's, that's the other context that people should be familiar with uh, as we talk about all these large-scale infrastructure programs. So it's not just new MRT lines or new housing estates. It's also about uh, these big infrastructural things that will uh, hopefully uh, interest uh, Singapore's physical existence uh, in the light of climate change. The, the fourth thing that I thought was interesting was the taxation part. So obviously GST going to happen. Uh, assuming it takes two years to kind of feel feel as if things are back economically, so that takes us to twenty one and twenty two, and then we have twenty three, twenty four, and twenty five. Um, so the GST hike really has increased soon to reduce its salience during the political uh, election. So we have the general election that's due in twenty twenty five. So whatever GST hike that is going to be in the pipeline has to happen sooner rather than later to reduce the salience on uh, on the elections. The other taxation-related thing that's also quite significant, I thought, was the carbon taxes. So I think it's something like uh, at the end of 2023, the carbon tax regime will be reviewed. And uh, the review is, is likely going to be in the very, very steep um, upwards direction, I thought, because there are various reports going on. So for example, in the US right now, they're talking about a social cost of carbon that's at least something like US $50. So this might sound ridiculous, but it's actually necessary for carbon capture schemes to become profitable, uh, at least commercially viable. So we're talking about a steep increase in the social cost of carbon that's going to come up. And when the US starts it, and I think the EU will probably have something similar, and I think China also has some kind of carbon tax. So. Uh, as internationally, it becomes important to have this, and because US, EU, China are all Singapore's big uh, major trading partners, so if carbon taxes have to be fair across the board to trade with them, then it's also likely the case that Singapore's carbon taxes will increase quite drastically. So I know you're thinking about this and you're thinking, oh, you know, but I'm still driving a, a petrol vehicle, uh, my life is based on fossil fuels, uh, all these carbon taxes going to keep coming out everywhere. Um, Unless you own a big industri industrial facility, I guess, but for the most of us, the likely transmission will be through the, the, the petrol vehicles. And already in Singapore, there will be a plan to phase out internal combustion engines by 2040. And already you're starting to see subsidies for electric vehicles and the, the plan to increase the, uh, the charging points for electric vehicles. So a lot of things are coming together so that when you finally get to that $75 per ton, you know, and your your things seem to look expensive, but hopefully by then, uh, all the measures would have been in place, and we would feel uh, we we wouldn't feel the shock of it as much. So I think that's the the bigger holistic plan that's happening. I'm not sure, but it does require a lot of coordination across a huge range of things for people to not to feel so much of the effects. So. Uh, this, those, I think, are the, the few features of the budget that's quite interesting. And they're all coming up against uh, the unstated, I think, the 2025 
uh, election, uh, which must happen in the constitution. So, um, it's it's very interesting to see how all these things will pan out. Uh, I guess the carbon taxes will have to be implemented, implemented after the elections. So I think uh, there's still a lot more time to adjust to this. So if you're in the oil and gas sector, uh, you might also notice globally that the oil and gas energy companies are actually pivoting as well. They're not just going to drill oil and gas forever. They know that all these carbon taxes things are coming. They know that renewable energy costs are going down across the world thanks to China's productive capacity, but also the demands, the policy demands in US and Europe. So uh, it's, it's a, you're a smart person to be in the oil and gas sector, so you should also think about how you can diversify your capabilities and uh, find different ways you can, you can use your skills. Um, I, I guess all the, the oil and gas energy companies are also adjusting as well. They're figuring out how do I change from offshore drilling to offshore installation of wind turbines, for instance. Um, you can see how that might be an adjacent field, adjacent area. You're basically doing the same thing. You're drilling things down, anchoring things down, but now you are putting something heavy on top rather than drilling. So, uh, and I guess the, the capabilities, looking at the capabilities perspective, there are a lot of things that the engineers are trained for. Uh, which I'm, which hopefully I, I hope will be translatable to various other industries. So uh, part of that is also the not just the economic adjustments as well, but also the social and the skills adjustment. So part of, I'm sure I hope that there will also be a package for that because you need massive retraining to get people ready for new industrial contexts. Um, but I'm broadly confident that the that the ruling party is able to do this um, because they are used to these kind of things, right? Uh, coordinating across government on a large scale with various programs to be inserted across all of this, and uh, of course, uh, and, um, and being in the democratic context that we're in, there has to be enough compensation and adjustments for people to make, and they'll provide the resources for that. Uh, what is interesting though will be the Workers' Party position, because uh, I know it's strange also that they have to kind of say that what they are for and what they are not for. So I think when Jameis is also properly pointing out that we need higher carbon taxes, I think that's a positive direction because the whole world will be heading to that direction. And if our major trading partners see that Singapore is not implementing this, they might impose tariffs. And we're really just a very small country in this regard, so they can do it without much cost. Uh, so it's the cost is up to us. Uh, to consider, right? If we don't have the common taxes, we might get all this additional cost to our position and our reputation. And if we don't, uh, we might lose out in this bigger game as a result. So uh, all things considered, um, the carbon tax is probably necessary. And uh, you probably now have a lot of lead time to start thinking about your own industry, your own ideas. And hopefully in a few years time, we'll be in a better position to see uh, what's really happening concretely and how we can adjust. Okay, so this has really been uh, a little experiment for me. So if you like to hear more of this, I hope to have more episodes to come. If you're interested in what I'm doing, you can go to medium.com medium.com slash um, medium.com slash open dash source dash futures. So that's medium.com slash open dash source dash futures. So that's where I'm at. 
If you feel generous, uh, there's my Patreon at Open Source Futures. That's one word, and you can also buy me a coffee at uh, OP Source Futures. So that's one word. Thanks. <laughs>